Hey folks, welcome in. It's On to Waveland, the Chicago Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney. We are without Sahadev Sharma this time around, but uh, once again, that's okay. Love Sahadev, but it's okay that he's missing because our third today is someone you're going to be very excited to hear from. It is, I mean, I, I know that you have done so much else, but as a diehard Cubs fan, I can't help but be like, this is the dude who wrote the book on the Cubs way. Uh, it's Tom Verducci. You know his work from a million uh, fantastic pieces that he's done in the baseball world. But again, he he wrote the book on, on the Cubs. So uh, again, thank you so much for joining us today, Tom. Oh, I, listen, my pleasure. I'd much rather do this at a ballpark as we all would, I'm sure, <laughs> but this is the next best thing. So thanks. Yeah. Some, someday eventually, obviously we're right in the middle of those the throes of the attempt to figure out a way to get the sport back in a safe and um, economically feasible way, as uncomfortable as that part of the conversation is. And, um, you know, not to stray too much from that piece of the conversation, which is so important right now, and it feels like it dominates everything. But when, you know, when I was thinking about the opportunity to speak with you specifically, you know, I got to say, the thing that came to mind that I wanted to kind of pick your brain a bit about is this idea that if the sport comes back this year, um, because of the extraordinarily bizarre physical situation for players where they were ramping up for spring training, then they started spring training, then they were shut down mm-hmm. and shut down in a way where it was not easy for everybody to stay in the kind of shape that these guys would want to stay in. And then they're going to be asked again, if things work out, they're going to be asked to ramp up again relatively quickly for a a weird baseball season. And something that comes to mind that as we often talk about health and safety of this season within the COVID-19 context, I think perhaps maybe going a little under discussed is the idea that, um, injury concerns when you've got such an unusual preparation for the season um, should also kind of take center stage. And, you know, you had recently written something, not on this point specifically, but just a fascinating take on the increasing knowledge base that we have about the relationship between velocity and pitcher arm injuries that I think we, a lot of people had poo-pooed for a long time. And now um, I really think we're getting a little bit more insight on that. And I really enjoyed your piece. And so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to pick your brain about the relationship between where the sport was headed already with respect to injury and injury prevention. And now in this truly uniquely unforeseen, bizarre situation where, I don't know, it feels like there's going to be added risk for player injury. Yeah, I guess the shorter answer is we just don't know. And that probably scares the pants off all these clubs who do the best that they can to gather information, technology, experts, uh, performance enhancement coaches. Everything that they've thrown at injury prevention now is sort of, I don't want to say out the window, but there's no blueprint for this model playing half of a season after you, as you mentioned, Guys got ramped up in March, and they've shut down now for two or three months. So, yeah, it has to be a concern among the clubs. I will tell you this. I think today's player does an incredible job of really staying in shape 12 months out of the year. It's nothing like when I first started covering baseball when – you know, I remember stories of Lou Pinella coming to spring training with one of those old rubber windbreakers <laughs> on to lose weight. 
you know, guys basically <laughs> smoked cigarettes and, and drank and kind of laid around the house until it was time to go to spring training. And spring training was for getting in this shape. Now, as you guys know, these guys show up in camp, and at least for the position players, like three days later, they're playing in games. I'm always amazed at that. I mean, how do you not hit a baseball and, and see 95-mile-an-hour pitching for three or four months and then step in, and even if it's one or two at-bats in a spring training game? So um, I think it's a little bit different. These guys are extremely good at keeping themselves in shape for the most part. I think the vast majority of players um, but the pitching is something that I definitely would worry about uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. And again, you're at a point now where I, I know, for instance, the Dodgers had been telling their pitchers treat this inactivity like an extended January. What it means is just keep your arm moving, play catch, don't ramp up, don't get off the pitcher's mound. You know, we don't know when the go sign is going to come. So just kind of stay ready. Um, nobody's ever gone through that situation before with this state of, uh, sort of limbo, if you will, for pitchers uh, has been around for so long. So I would think when we get to uh, actually spring training and playing games, you're going to see teams be be even more conservative with pitchers and usage than they have been in the last decade. And by that, I mean, you may see more six-man rotations. You'll probably see more pitchers per game, uh, definitely a greater emphasis on pitch counts, so it'll be somewhat of a different game just on the basis of trying to be conservative with pitcher's health. Tom, as you know, the Cubs kind of built this around hitters. They've had issues developing their own pitchers. What do you think in terms of specific to the Cubs and maybe just the future of pitching in general? What does it mean when you potentially wipe out an entire minor league season and cut the draft down to five rounds? Yeah, well, in the short term, if we have an 82-game season, I, I think it actually helps the Cubs a little bit in terms of the pitching because, I, you know, I'm not – if you look in the course of history and try to find really good, like, World Series contending or winning teams that have a, an entire rotation of 30-plus pitchers age-wise, uh, that's a really short list. It, it's hard to do that and keep them all healthy with the mileage they all have over 162. So I think there's a better chance over 82 – and especially this this long, let's call it a recovery period of limbo uh, for these guys coming off last season. That may help them, actually. But you make a really good point about development. A year of development, a lost year of development for pitchers, really is tough. I mean, it's you can argue that it gives players a little bit of a break in terms of usage, in terms of these younger pitchers. But uh, I, listen, to me, you have to pitch. Uh, it's hard to shorten the learning curve of a pitcher, especially these days when we do have a lot of governors on them in the minor leagues. Um, you just can't hurry that up at this point. So, you know, if the cavalry is coming for the Cubs, and you guys know it's a little bit farther away than a lot of Cubs fans would want, it's going to be a little farther away. So it's, uh, you know, other teams that have maybe a bevy of AAA guys knocking on the door with, with stuff that, you know, you can use in short bursts without exposing them too much. You know, I think about a team like the Dodgers in that case. That's really going to – this season would play into their hands when you're talking about just having a, a greater inventory of just really good arms who you can use in short doses. Well, and that's going to be fascinating this year um, because we know that rosters are likely to be expanded to about 30 to account for the fact that, again, a, a very short re-ramp-up period 
and then um, the need to protect pitchers. But Beyond that, because we suspect that there isn't going to be anything even remotely resembling a normal minor league season, um, you, you might see like a taxi squad of 20 players, mostly youngsters, available to swap in at the big league level when necessary. It, have you thought about how – are we going to see any teams try to make the most of that reality for the purposes of young player development um, or – our teams almost exclusively going to say, yeah, you know, like you said, it's, it's a lost year. It sucks for the development of these guys, but being able to uh, periodically tag in our top young prospects to sub in at the big league level, it might ultimately do more harm than good. Uh, To me, I would lean, if I had a really good prospect, really good arm, who's maybe not quite ready for the big leagues, uh, I would lean towards having that guy ready to pitch in big league games in short bursts. Um, As you mentioned, there's probably going to be a 20-man taxi squad. You'll have people going back and forth all the time. So I want to maintain control over that really top prospect with a really good arm. Maybe he was ticketed for high A or or double A. and that guy I want under my control, so to speak, rather than just having him off somewhere on his own training and throwing. Tom, I distinctly remember uh, near the end of the 2011 season, the Cubs were wrapping up in San Diego. Uh, and I land at the airport there and a colleague of mine, uh, we jump in a cab uh, to the gas lamp area, gas lamp quarter, whatever. And uh, he kind of looked at me and said, did you read, you know, Verjuci's story on uh kind of the Brad Pitt money ball and, and looking at the Red Sox. And um, we just kind of looked at each other and were like, you know, this is what Ricketts is talking about. This is exactly not necessarily Theo, but just all of these ideas. You really did a great job encapsulating kind of where the game was going and how I think Theo told you, you know, owners are reading whatever's on the New York Times bestseller list. That's a long way of setting up. What do you think Theo's next move will be? I mean, you've known him for a long time. Um, you have, seem to have a really good relationship. Um, where do you think, uh, once things get back to somewhat normal, what do you think uh, he does in, in baseball or beyond? Well, that's a great question because I, I don't know where baseball is going to next. I, I feel like the analytics movement, not that it's played out, but it's become a real level playing field where it's harder for really smart people like Theo to get a competitive edge. Um, it looked like that was going to happen with some of the techniques used in, in uh, out of the batter's box now with some of the technology that you know, early I was adapted to pitching, now it was taken to hitting. But I think every team, as I go through spring training, has pretty much the same tools. Uh, they're hiring the same people from the same places. So I'm not sure where it's going. I think there's a possibility that we could go a little retro, if you will, um, where we return to an emphasis on experience uh, and, and having you know a balance more because I think the pendulum has definitely swung more in terms of a scientific game and you'd never want to go back to the way we did it in the old days where a lot of people, what they knew about pitching and hitting, they just knew from somebody told them when they were growing up or they had a coach somewhere. Um, There's a lot of word of mouth and a lot of just legend, to be honest with you, that wasn't exactly accurate. So I think maybe there's an emphasis coming on, um, on experience, but I I think we're, we're still far away from that. Is Theo still in the game at that point, five, 10 years down the road? 
I don't know. I, I think Theo is such a smart person, and you know, as his kids grow, I, I think he's going to look at the world differently and kind of assess what's really important to me. You know, I, I think he's always been someone who's had an eye and interest outside of the game itself. A lot of people are great at baseball because it's everything to them, and they're totally absorbed in the game. It's not to say he's not absorbed in the game, but I know his interests go beyond just you know what's happening at the ballpark and. I think he's someone who continually needs to be challenged. Right now, the challenge is he wants another championship with the Cubs. So that was not just a one-off. That things just broke right that year with the help of of God with that rain <laughs> delay. Game seven, they won a championship. And I think he wants something that consolidates what he's done there as something that has been lasting. Um, so I would say he's still in it for another championship. And if and when that comes... It wouldn't surprise me to to go someplace else that's completely outside of the game of baseball. I think he'd be a great commissioner of baseball, but again, I don't think I, I don't think that would be on his priority. I think the Cubs job is probably his last job in baseball. It's hard for me to imagine that there's a bigger, better challenge for him with another team or somewhere else in baseball. I think it would be outside of baseball. And even if that uh, winds up being the case, it's interesting because the last two years he has with the Cubs will certainly be uniquely challenging as everybody navigates uh, what will probably be a pretty transformed sport. So uh, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us for this. Uh, just awesome to be able to speak with you, to pick your brain on these topics. Uh, folks, please make sure you're checking out uh, Tom's work at Sports Illustrated. He uh, just does fantastic work on a range of topics that sort of touch on like a different angle than I feel like a lot of people are checking out. So that's, that's what I've always appreciated. And of course his book, the Cubs way, you got to check that out. So again, thank you, Tom, uh, folks, we will be back with you, uh, later this week, uh, read Patrick's stuff at the athletic, read my stuff at Bleacher Nation, and we will see you again soon. Thanks all. Take care.